We're going to be in Matthew 25 this morning, if you'd be finding your Bible and looking in the Bible. While you're turning there, I just want to emphasize some things that are coming up in our church's calendar, several things really over the next several weeks. But we're going to be emphasizing missions, world missions, during the first three weeks of November. We have uh, several missionaries that are lined up to be with us. And sometimes we have a missions week, missions conference. Sometimes we have a missions month, and that'll be more like this is in November. We'll finish it up on the 21st of November, which is the Sunday before Thanksgiving. And we'll have a guest speaker here on that day who's also been on the mission field. And we're going to really emphasize bringing people on that day because missions is not just for what we do in, in Africa or South America. It's what we do in our own neighborhood and so that 21st, the last day of our missions emphasis, we're going to call that Friend and Family Day, and we're all be inviting guests. And hopefully you have people that you work on and are working on. I know that we do in our neighborhood, people we know. We invite them, especially to special occasions. Sometimes people are more apt to come for something like that. And I would urge you just to think about some, some people you know today acquaintances, maybe family members, maybe a friend, someone you work with, and say, on this day, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite them, and I'm going to trust the Lord that they could come and hear the gospel. The, the whole point of missions is getting the gospel out. It's not, we're not, not uh, just about humanitarian type things, it's getting the gospel out. And so I hope that you'll get on board with that, and I know that many of you will, and we're looking forward to what the Lord is going to do. Uh, not only on that day particularly, but in our church and through our church in the days ahead as far as missions is concerned. I'm glad someone bought the gospel to me, aren't you? And we wouldn't be here today were it not for that fact. Well, we've been in recent weeks teaching and studying about the privilege that we have to serve the Lord. And I don't know, I, I often wonder uh, if how people perceive or look at things uh, that are being taught and preached, if it's the same way that I have. But you think, well, if I've studied it and I've preached it, you know, I've pretty well uh, got it all um, processed and, 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 and kind of gotten over it. But I'm telling you, I'm just loving this time of studying about serving the Lord. I'm just glad God would let me serve Him. And, I'm, and I hope that you're uh, thinking about that as well. It's a privilege and an honor to serve Him and the rewards... And we're going to look about that today a little bit. The rewards of wise stewardship of our privilege to serve are eternal. And uh, Matthew chapter 25 is where we're going to be reading. And if you have that place, if you'd stand with us for the reading of your God's Word, if you're able uh, to stand with us. And uh, well, let's just read a few verses beginning in verse uh, 14. Matthew 25 and verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country. Now, I'm going to re repeat this in a moment. But Jesus has been teaching about things related to his coming. Jesus is on the earth when he's teaching this. But he's just about to go to the cross. And he's teaching about when he comes back uh, to the earth in the future. As a matter of fact, in verse 13, just before the verse we read, it says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. That's the topic, his future coming. And then he says in verse 14, For 
The kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants. And that again has been our theme for the last couple of months. Who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man according to his several ability and straightway left, took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he, he that had received two, he also gained another two or other two. Verse 18, but he that received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. This is the first man that ever took his money and put it in a can in the backyard. He went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. Verse 19, and after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. Just for the privilege of assembling like this and having Bibles that we can read and trust and live by and learn from. We're very grateful. God, we're grateful for the wonderful truths of song that we've been able to sing and listen to today that encourage us and edify us. And now we ask that you'd bless, Father, as we get into your word with open minds, hearts that are receptive. And Lord, we pray today that we've not just uh, checked this off as another sermon and an affirmation of something we've heard before. But I pray, Lord, today that with uh, obedient hearts, we would take seriously the privilege that we have and responsibility we have to serve you. Thank you for the privilege, Lord, of knowing you and calling you our Lord, our Master, and being able to serve you with our lives. We're very grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As I said, just to sort of put this uh, passage in context, I want to just look at a few verses in Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. First of all, Matthew 24 and verse 3, this is Jesus just as he is leaving the temple. Jesus is in Jerusalem, and uh, he's, he's in Jerusalem for his last visit. He's going to eventually go to the cross. He's been spending some time teaching in the temple Verse 3 says, He sat upon the Mount of Olives. The disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Most people in this room are familiar with Matthew 24. The entire chapter is devoted to signs of Christ's coming. He'll come in judgment. He'll return. Keep in mind, Jesus is on this planet, on this earth, living there when he said this, but he's just about to go to the cross. And so we see this throughout this chapter. Verse uh, 27 it says, For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even to the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. He wants his followers to be mindful of his coming. Verse 42 of that same chapter, Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. In verse 44, Therefore be also ready. For in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. This goes right into chapter 25. In the first uh, 
13 verses of chapter 25 are about the parable of ten virgins, those that were ready when their Lord came, those who were not ready when their Lord came. And again, it's all of this has to do with the coming of the Lord. Chapter 25, as we read a moment ago in verse 19, and he says, the Lord of those servants cometh in that parable. In verse 27, it says, the last part of verse 27, at my coming, I should have received mine own with usury. This goes all the way through verse 30, but then in look, look in verse 31, when the Son of Man shall come in His glory. So you can't look at this, these two chapters, and not know what is the primary subject that Jesus is dealing with, which is what? His coming. The fact that He's going to leave and He's going to come back. So let's look at this parable that begins in verse 14. It says, for the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country. So Jesus is going to give them this parable about this man. We might say a fictitious man, but uh, he's talking about himself, who is, uh, is a, like a man traveling into a far country. So if you read this, think in these terms, it's about a man, Jesus, who's going to travel to a far country, and that far country he's going to travel to is heaven. But before he leaves, this man, Jesus, is going to, as he speaks to his disciples, he's going to distribute his goods to his servants, those who serve him. And that's what it says in verse 14. It's like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. Notice, very important, two things there. They're his servants. They're, they, they're those who serve him, and he's giving them his goods. They're not their goods, they're his goods. And he's given his goods to his servants. Now, the, in the parable, Jesus said, this man gave one person five talents, one person three talents, and one person just one talent. Now, when we think of talents, we think about a person is talented to play uh, an instrument or a person is talented to sing, but those are, that's not really what this word talent is referring to. He's, he's, it's actually talking about a sum of money that equals uh, a talent, weighs a talent, some form of measurement. My wife and I were reading our Bible this morning in the book of Chronicles, and there was someone who brought, if I remember, I should have remembered where that was, but they brought a hundred talents of gold. So a talent is a measurement of money. And um, one writer, I was studying this passage, and one writer said that a talent was equivalent to 20 years' salary. So now that may be uh, debatable, but the point is when he said he gave him five talents, he's not just saying, I'm giving you 20 bucks. It could have been as much as 20 years of salary. He's, get, he's leaving, this wealthy man is leaving. And he has a lot of wealth, and he's giving to these various servants part of his wealth to take care of because he's going to be gone for a while. You say, why didn't he just bury it? Because he wants what he has to be productive. He wants to be used. He wants to have a benefit from it. And so, and it says there, if you look at this, um, that he gave them in verse 15, he gave one, five talents to another two and to another one to every man according to his several ability. Now that just means the owner 
did not give them more than they were capable of being responsible for. He knew what they could handle. One of me just gave one talent. One of me gave three talents. One of me gave five talents. But according to their several ability, and he would not give them more than they could be responsible for. He knew them and knew what to give them. And in verse 15 it says, the last part of verse 15, straightway, that means immediately, he took his journey. And we read this a moment ago in verse 16 and 17. But it says in 16 that one had received the five talents, traded with the same, and made them other five talents. And same way with the person who had two, in verse 17, the one that had two talents, he gained two other. He, he, doubled, he doubled what he had. He took what his, his master had given him, he used it. The word traded means to use it, to put it to work. He put it to work and he doubled it. Imagine that. He took whatever it was that he had in that period of time, and we don't know how long the period of time was, he doubled the value of it. And verse 19 says, after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with me. We don't know how the long time was in this parable, but when I read that, I'm reminded of how we've been reading and studying and learning and preaching and teaching, in my case, for more than 40 years, that Jesus is going to come back. Well, before I started preaching that, someone else had been preaching it, you know, for a couple of thousand years after Jesus left. The point is, he left and he's coming back. It seems like a long time, but rest assured, he is coming back. And so that's what this parable really is about. And when he comes back, when this, when this, in the parable, when he came back in verse 19, it says, and reckoned with them. The word reckon doesn't just mean like I'm planning on it, I reckon I will. The word reckon is an accounting term. It means he wanted them to give an account. Imagine, if you would, that someone that trusted you was going to take a trip. Let's just say they're going to go to Europe or they're going to go to... Uh, my wife and I heard a story, the other, a new story about a, a cruise... We've, we've talked about taking a cruise one of these days. This would be a nice cruise. This cruise is going to be gone. You remember how many months it was going to be gone? Like nine months or something like that. 150 stops in 40 different countries. And it only cost $60,000. So let's just imagine somebody comes up to you and says, I'm going to be gone on a cruise. And you're thinking, yeah, they'll be gone in a week. They're going to be gone for nine months. They said, but I don't want to just leave my money just sitting around doing nothing. I want you to take care of my affairs when I'm gone. And so they trust you enough that you do that, and when they come back, then you're, you're, you're going to have to give an accounting for that, what you did with that. That's what this story is about. It's about when, they, when the Lord comes back, those servants in this parable, those servants would have to give an account, a reckoning of what they had done while he was gone. And if you look in verse, we're not going to read it all now, but in verses uh, 20, uh, 20, 20 all the way down through verse 30, for the next 10 verses, every one of them are going to have to answer. The one that had five had doubled it. The one that had two talents has doubled his talents as well. And the one who had one talent was, was really severely rebuked. All of them were recognized. Two of them were recognized as being faithful stewards, good, trustworthy uh, stewards, one of them was recognized 
for not being such a good steward. We'll talk about that a little more later. But here's the application. Now, this is the parable, but here's the application. Jesus, as I said, was teaching this in Jerusalem only a couple of days before he would go to the cross. Look, if you would, in a chapter 26. And it says, uh, verse 1, And it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said unto his disciples, Ye know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. So we have a timeline here. While Jesus is teaching this, he's two days before he's going to be crucified. And he's teaching them about his departure. And they ask him the question in Matthew 24, what's it going to be like in the end times? What's it going to be like when you come back or when the end of the world, as Matthew 24 says? And Jesus takes Matthew 24, Matthew 25, many verses of Scripture, and he's explaining what it's going to be like. And he says, I'm going to go away. And the part of that teaching is what we're looking at in Matthew 25 when he says, I'm going to go to a far country and I'm going to return. If you look in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 18, we have the record of him that was a, not a faithful steward. It says, but he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. So all three of these, these various servants are, are recorded, talked about. But look in verse 19. And after a long time... The Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. Now here's one way of looking at this. We live in the time between verses 18 and verse 19. We live in the time between when Jesus said, I'm going to give my servants various goods to take care of in my absence. And when he comes back in verse 19. Verse, verse 14, when he referred to these Men, these three people in verse 14, he called them his own servants. And that's who we are. We are his servants. And his servants are to serve him in his absence. I feel like I'm going really slow, but I'll make sure we're all on board here. We're his servants. He's gone away. He's coming back. And in the interim, we're to serve him while he's gone. And we're to serve him in anticipation of his return. And I say it again, as I've said many times during this series, what a privilege it is to be able to serve the Lord. So what is it we're supposed to do as his servants pictured here in this parable? We're to take what we've received from him and use it in a way that pleases him. I, look, I, I emphasized this in reading this the first time, but look in verse 14 where he says, he called unto him, he called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. This, this is very clearly emphasized in this passage. Look in verse 18. He says, He that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his money? No. His Lord's money. He hid it. This money didn't belong to him. It belonged to his Lord. And then when they're giving an account, uh, down in verse 20 in verse 22 it says in verse 20 the one that had five talents said Lord thou deliverest unto me five talents it came from the Lord he gave it to me same thing in verse 22 down in verse 25 
This unfaithful steward said, I was afraid and went and hid thy talent. He didn't say I hid my talent. He said, I hid your talent. In verse 27, getting rebuked, he said, Thou oughtest therefore have to, to have put my money. The Lord says, you should have took my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming, I should have mine own with usury. You cannot read that without understanding that the, the Lord is saying it was my money, you should have taken my money and given it to the exchanger so when I came back, I could have gotten at least some interest. You could at least put it, you could at least put it in a money market account and I'd have got .001% on it or something. <laughs> Couldn't get much better than that. The point is, he wanted, you to wanted them to take what he had given them and used it in a way that would please him. Now, this is such important, uh, some important principles for us to understand when it comes to our role as servants. We're to serve the Lord, and we serve Him with what He has given us. And that's an important thing to concept to understand. What we have belongs to God. Now, we can say, you know, let's, well, let's take my car, or can we come to your house and eat? But really, it's not our car. And it's not our house. It's all His. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein. Whatever we have, be it a lot or be it small, it's all His. And what we have, by the way, what we have came from Him. Hold your finger right here in Matthew 25 and go over to 1 Corinthians for a moment if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and let's just read one verse, verse 7. Now, while you're turning there, Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and he's really addressing areas of division in the church. And one of the parts of division was some of them said, I'm of Paul, I'm a convert of Paul. Some of them said, I'm of Apollos. Others are saying, I'm of Cephas, I, I'm from Peter, Peter's responsible for me here in the gospel. And they were divided over this in a prideful way. And so look at this verse, verse 7, Paul addresses this saying, For who maketh thee to differ from another? Who do you think makes us different? And the answer is obviously, it's God. God is the one that makes us different. And then verse 7 says, And what hast thou that thou didst not receive. What do you have that you didn't receive? And, the, and what is the answer? Obviously, this is God. And he says, now, if thou didst receive it, in other words, if someone gave it to you or it came from someone, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? Now, hopefully none of us would have that problem, but what he's saying is basically, you shouldn't be so puffed up about what you have because everything you have, you received it. That does away with pride, but it also helps us sense, have a sense of responsibility. Whatever you have, it came from God. It's, it's His. He, that's what a steward is. I've been teaching this and preaching about this you know, for 40 years, and I still believe it needs to be emphasized because we tend to think what we have is ours. And we may act like it's ours, but it's not ours. It's God's. And if God gave it to you and God gave it to me, whatever it is, 
then we're to use it for him. And, and it, what might be good for us every once in a while just to take an inventory and say, what do I have? I was just thinking about this a moment. We have a Bible. You know what? Do you realize that most people in the world will live and die and never have a Bible? Well, that, that's a, we, you know, where we, God gave us his word. And with that comes responsibility. We ought to read the word. We ought to try to live by the word. We ought to share the word. Because we have the word, we have the gospel. We know what it is to be saved. We know what it is to be lost, to be dead in trespasses and sins. We know what it is to find the mercy and the grace of God that God would work in our heart. God worked in our heart to bring conviction of sin and to show us Jesus Christ. And, and God worked in our heart and we turned to Christ and we realized we need to be saved. He changed our life. You know where you got that? It came from God. That's where it came from. We don't have the gospel because we're better than anybody. What has God given us? He's given us a lot. He's given us a family. He's, those of us who are here are married. We have a spouse to spend our life with. We have children. Children to raise for who? For Him. Children are heritage of the Lord. They don't belong to you. They're not your kids or my kids. God gave them to us. We have an obligation. Why? Because everything we have came from God. Everything that we have is, a, is from the Lord. I was studying this and thinking about an Old Testament character, a man by the name of Manoah, and he and his wife couldn't have children. She was barren. They couldn't have children, and God came to the woman and said, you're going to have a child. They didn't think they would ever have children. And the, and the Manoah went to the Lord and he said, he said, I need help. How am I going to raise a child? And this is what the angel of the Lord said, or what he said to the angel. How shall we order the child? How shall we do to him? We don't know how to raise a child. Would you help us? You know why? Because these children belong to God. We need God's help. What about any talents or abilities you have? Maybe a musical talent, maybe some mechanical ability. You know, people are gifted in different ways. You know why you have that? Because God gave it to you. God gave you that ability. And if you don't think he did, watch some people who don't have that ability to try to fix something. God gives it to What about financial blessings? That's, and really, this is more what this is about than anything. Luke 19, I'm not going to turn to it, but Luke 19 is a similar parable. It's not the same parable. But in that parable, the Lord went away and he came back. And when he came back, he commanded his servants to be called to whom he had given, it says to whom he had given the money. Have we used, how have we used the money God has given us? Now, do you, now stop with me for a moment and just think. Preacher, do you really believe that when we stand before the Lord, we're going to answer to him for the money that went through our hands and how we used it? Absolutely, 100%. I know that's what this is teaching us. It's not our money. It's not even our time. I don't have time to do that. You know, I know God wants me. I don't have time. I'm telling you, everything we have comes from God. What about spiritual gifts? We're not going to turn to it, but in one place you, you see a really concise and very, I think, practical list of spiritual gifts is Romans Chapter 12, and it lists the gift of mercy. I, I, 
some people, you can tell they have the gift of mercy. Some people like me, you can tell they don't have the gift of mercy. The gift of helps, that service, the gift of leadership. People have spiritual gifts, the gift of giving, the gift of exhortation, the gift of teaching, the gift of preaching or prophecy. People have spirit. These gifts, God, every person in this room, I, without question, every person in this room that is saved has been given spiritual gifts that you might serve the Lord with them. You say, you don't know me. I don't have to know you. I know the Bible. That's what the Bible says. We haven't all been given the same thing. When I was thinking about this yesterday, I was thinking about a familiar character in the Bible. His name is Barnabas, but that's not his real name. His real name was Joseph. But they surnamed him Barnabas. Barnabas means son of consolation. They gave him this name. Those believers, they, the people who knew him put this name. His nickname was Barnabas, son of consolation. Consolation means to be an encourager. You know, to be, a, to, to be a help, to be a comforter. You know why they said that? I believe because that's just that's the, that's the reputation he had. He had, that, he had that gift. He was being a good steward of the way God made him. So every one of us, every one of us are to be servants. Every one of us that are God's children have been given gifts, resources, tools, and we're not to compare ourselves with one another. We can't say, well, I, if I had that, I'd do this. No, that's not what it's about. We're to use what God has given us. We're to faithfully manage what God has given us. You know, it would be very easy for a person to say, well, if I had that, then I'd do this. Well, that's, we're not going to be judged by what we don't have. We're going to be judged by what we do have, what God gives us. And these servants in our text, especially the first two, they traded with what they had been given. That's the word that's used there. They begin to trade, verse 16, that he would have received the five talents, went and traded with the same. Same they were the one with the two. They, they used what they had. We ought to use what we have. Use the money we have. Use the opportunities we have. Use the spiritual gifts we have. Use the connections we have. You know, if you look at this passage, and I want to just notice some adjectives that are used to describe these three servants. And the first one is found in verse 21 when he's, when he's the, the man who had five talents. He was faithful with it. He used it and he, and he doubled what he had. And verse four, 21 it says, well done thou good and faithful. There's two different, two different adjectives describing this servant. He was good. He was up. That means he was honorable. He was upright. And he was faithful. Faithful means Trustworthy. I was gone for a long time. You know, the longer a person's gone, the harder it is to expect them to come at any moment. He said, I was gone for a long time, and yet you stayed trustworthy all the way up until I came back. Those are, and he said the same, those same two words are used down later talking about uh, the second man in verse 23. Well done, good and faithful servant. By the way, it may not cross our mind often, but one of these days, 
If you and I hear those words come from the lips of Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant, it'll mean everything to us. That's a picture. This is a picture of what's going to happen in the future. But then we have some negative characteristics or qualities in the man who buried the talent. Let's look at that quickly. Look at verse 26. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant. Now, please put your thinking cap on for a second. He didn't just say, you know, he didn't just say, you know, you, you kind of missed the mark. No, he called him wicked. Wicked. That's strong language. You know what that means? It means it is, it's sinful not to use what God has given us the way he wants us to use it. It's not just a little uh-oh, it's wicked. Let that sink in. It's not just incidental. It's not just minor. And he says, you're a wicked, verse 26, and slothful. He was lazy. That means he wasn't diligent. He didn't use his time wisely. He wasn't, he wasn't being trustworthy. By doing nothing, by doing nothing profitable with what his Lord had given him, he was sinning. You know, sometimes we look at sin as we did something wrong, that's sin, and that's very true, but it's just as sinful not to do right as it is sinful to do what's wrong. Imagine hearing those words come from the Lord. You wicked and slothful servant. And then look what he says in verse 30. He's another word. Cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. Unprofitable. Now, we may not think of the bottom line as ourselves in our day-to-day affairs, but if, you, if you're self-employed, if you manage a business, you're, you're interested in the bottom line. Am I making a profit on this? You know what un, unprofitable means? It means it's useless. Why even go through the business if you're not going to make anything off of it? It's good for nothing. You know why? Because he was stealing from the Lord. He, wasn't, he, took what God, he took what his owner had given him and he buried it. He put it in the ground. He did not use what had been given him. He did not render the service that was deserved. And by the way, this, that describes the vast majority of people in the world. They're not using what they've been given for the glory of God. They're using it for selfish gain. They're using it for personal pleasure. But they're not using it for God. They use whatever they have for themselves with no regard for what God would think about it. Warren Wearsby said this about this unprofitable servant because this man was afraid he might fail he never tried to succeed he was afraid of the ruler he was afraid of the lord he was afraid he was afraid of this taskmaster he was afraid he might fail so he never tried to succeed it's not smart to let fear keep you from by faith doing what god would want you to do so he buried the talent. He buried it to protect it. Now, this is, we're to, you know, if we were having a theme for the last two months, it would be this. 
servants of God. We are servants of God. And so let's, let's wrap this up today by answering this question. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But you answer it in your own mind. What kind of servant am I? With all that God's given me, with the finances he's given me, with the spiritual gifts he's given me, with the opportunities he's given me, am I a faithful servant or an unfaithful servant? We are his servants. And when he, he returns, we're going to give an accounting. You know, the Apostle Paul is a good example of something. He often spoke about the appointment he would have at the judgment seat of Christ. Matter of fact, at one point he said, knowing the terror of the Lord, I persuade men. Do you ever think about that? I think it's a very sobering thing to think about. We're going to stand before the Lord. I think this is a great motivator. You know, people may not appreciate the way we as believers live our lives sometimes. They may not understand why do you give your money to people in China or Pakistan that they can hear the gospel. Why are you, why are you taking money you earned and help pay the salary of a missionary who's, who's over there reaching these people in these foreign countries? They don't understand it. But you know what? When we stand before the Lord, we'll be glad we did. We're glad now. I'm glad now. But we'll certainly be glad. Then it's a motivator. We need to keep our eyes on the future reward. It's so easy. It's so easy just to live for today and thinking about this. If I ever get this done, if I ever get that done, then I'll be okay without thinking about the future. We need to keep our eyes on the future. And as we do, we're trading. I'm not talking about trading this car for that car. I'm talking about we're, we're using what we have. We're using our talents. We're using our abilities. We're using our opportunities. We're using our money. We're using what we have. We're teaching our children. These are God's children. We're teaching them and training them and trying to instill value in them. This is a mindset that I'm pretty convinced we need to be reminded of frequently. What we have is not ours. It was given to us from God. We're to be using it in a way that pleases Him. And one day we're going to stand before Him. And we're going to be given account. Just like this, after a long time, this owner came back and reckoned with them. And I would just like to urge you to do this today. And it won't be new for you, and, or it might be for some. I'd like for you just to consider your role as a servant of God and responsibility. And say something like this to God in a moment. God, I want to thank you for everything you've given me. And don't be, don't be so unwise as to say, well, I, you know, I don't have as much as other people do. We're all really blessed if we just be honest. God, I thank you for what you've given me. And I really want to use it 
in a way that would please you. I want to acknowledge that I'm your servant. And I want to live my life as best I can using whatever you give me for your glory, for your, for your honor. Would you make that your decision? And not just your decision for this morning, but make it your decision for your life. With God as my helper, with God as my helper, I want to be a faithful and good servant of God, trustworthy. And whatever God lets come my way, maybe an opportunity, maybe a relationship, maybe a promotion, maybe whatever it is, whatever God lets come my way, I want to use it for the glory of God. That's not, a, that's not an unreasonable thing, is it? No, that's very reasonable. That's very reasonable. You say, preacher, do you really believe that if I did that and lived that way my whole life, that at the end I'd be glad I did? I believe it with all of my heart that you would. You'd be glad. Now, people are really puzzled sometimes over a lot of things about that one unfaithful servant, whether he was saved, whether he was unsaved. Some even might think because he wasn't faithfully lost his salvation. We know that's not true. It's not taught in the Bible. Please hear me today, whoever you are. I want to I tell you what I think. The one, the one thing that God has given you today that if you don't use it, will result in you spending an eternity separated from God. And that's this. It's the opportunity to be saved. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You reject that, and it's, it's curtains for you forever. The one thing that will result in you never seeing heaven The one thing that will assure you a place in eternal damnation is not receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior. You can count on that. You can take that to the bank. Amen? And if you're here today and you're not saved, if you don't know the Lord, whether you were ever responsible for that information before now or not, you're responsible now. Use it or lose it. And if you're not saved, you ought to come to Christ today and say, I need the Lord in my life. I need to be forgiven. I need to be saved. And by the way, I, I, per, I firmly believe this. Once a person gets saved, their relationship with God completely changes and everything about their life is going to be affected and we're going to find ourselves for the first time, that's me, for the first time after I got saved, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want us to raise our children? How do you want us to use our money? 
How can we glorify God with this opportunity? You know what? That's how Christians think. That's how Christians start to think. Isn't it a wonderful thing? Changes us from the inside out. Let's bow our heads together for prayer. We are servants of the Lord. If we're saved, if we're saved, we're God's servants. And we want to serve Him. And He's given all of us different opportunities, different resources, different gifts. I can't use what He's given you. You can't use what He's given me. All of us are to use what He's given us. Are you doing that? Can you honestly say in your heart, by the grace of God, that's what I'm doing? Or might you need to say today, Lord, I need to re-examine this. I need to take a real serious look at this. I'm your servant, and I want to serve you with whatever time I have. I don't know when you're coming, but when you come, either to take me home or come to take us all out of here, when you come, I want to be faithfully serving you. Our Father, as we pray today, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the teaching that we find in your word about stewardship, about faithfulness, about serving you. And God, I thank you that you'd allow us not only to be called servants, but to live like servants, to act like servants, to serve like servants. So I pray that, Lord, you'd help us. I pray that the Spirit of God and the Word of God would challenge us all about that appointment we have one day when we'll stand before you to answer for the way we've used what you've given us as your servants.